is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, fine people. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 535, recorded Tuesday, June the 8th, 2021. Welcome, one and all. Welcome, Jason. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay, Chris. How are you? How are things going this week? Not bad. Not bad. It's uh, it's a bit of more of a normal week for me. I haven't had to do that big commute I was claiming about, or claiming, complaining about. <laughs> I, was pre- I wasn't had, didn't have to do that, that commute I was pretending to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sorry, well, family, I got to go. Uh, I got to, you know, drive all the way out to wherever. I'll be back in uh, eight or nine hours. And they just, <laughs> you know, go to a coffee shop. Do they still have those? Uh, I don't know what you would do for eight. What would you do? Well, yeah, if I don't know, if I was just had to leave for eight hours, I, you know, I could find something to do, I'm sure. But you can't go to a movie. Not right now. You can't go to sit in a coffee shop. I could maybe go sit in a park somewhere. Sounds exciting. I mean, yeah. a good park sit's not bad. I don't want to disparage that in any way. No, a good park sit is good, but you don't want to do it eight hours a day or nine hours a day, uh, five days in a row where the weather is unpredictable. No. And your butt gets sore from wherever you're sitting. It's probably not as comfortable as your office chair. And and and, and when I'm supposed to be, you know, doing a job, collecting a salary, like that's, that'd probably uh, come out pretty quick. But I, oh, assu- yeah. I, I assure you. All of you. this is predicated on the fact that you got fired. Right. right. So we have to assume that right off the bat. Yeah. Well, I you're assure lying you. to your family that you've been fired and you're too embarrassed to say anything. I was in fact doing that commute and I in fact no longer am, but only because okay. I don't need to. So awesome. that's good. It's been a, it's been a wetter week. It's the weather's beautiful. It's hot. And we're back to talk about fear the walking dead. Mm-hmm. So all is right with the world. We bought a hammock. I love it. What? You bought a hammock? My new, yeah. My, my wife, I, she didn't tell me she was buying it. Just showed up today and she's like, oh, I bought a hammock. And we set it up and I got in it and I'm like, this is my new favorite thing. I love it. Well, what you need to do now is find the perfect spot for it, put in some concrete posts and, and put it where you want it. No, we, well, we have it, uh, came with a stand. It's on the deck. Ah. Uh, we got a whole plan. We're getting it. We're, instead of going on vacation this summer, we're uh, putting the money into... Uh, enjoying ourselves in our backyard. So we're getting a gazebo, one of those things you put up and then screw to the ground so it doesn't fly away. It's not just, and then the umbrella that we have now, we're going to put next to the hammock mm-hmm. with the little, with the table that it's on. It's going to be glorious. Well, I didn't expect to hear about this, but as soon as it's appropriate, I expect an invitation to come over and experience your new gazebo and hammock. Oh yeah. It's a two man hammock. So we can, uh, we can cuddle right in. Ooh, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's exciting. I didn't know that but that's good stuff. So uh, we'll expect the hammock report every couple of weeks this summer. And so far, I love it. I'm like, get me a pillow. I'm going to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) All right. Well, that's, that's good. Um, If anyone else out there wants to hear more about Jason's hammock, just let us know. In the meantime, we're going to talk about the 15th episode of the sixth season of Fear the Walking Dead, We don't have any ratings to discuss this week because there was no episode last week and we've already covered them, Uh, but next week we'll get back to that. So right now, it's time to talk about USS Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. This is the submarine episode, and in fact, almost the entire thing takes place 
inside the beached submarine. And I'm afraid, Jason, I don't think it was a very good episode. Are you? I liked it. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was good. It was like a very contained thing, even though there seemed to be a lot of room in that submarine. It's just it, usually they seemed rather cramped, but they're either actors are incredibly tiny people, which a lot of them are, uh, or submarines. The hatches are bigger and the hallways are bigger than I had anticipated. Well, you know what? But, I didn't really feel that. I I felt like they did an okay job of depicting the interior of a submarine. That's one of the things I. I didn't mind about this episode, actually. Yeah. They can't be much smaller, like the hatches and stuff. They can't be much smaller than that. You have to be able to get through them reasonably comfortably as a normal-sized human, right? Uh, well, yes, and you also have to be able to get uh, torpedoes through them, right? Because that's how they load. They loaded torpedoes, is they put them down the hatch, and then you turn them, and then you friggin' manhandled them all the way to the torpedo room. Oh, okay. And, and that's how you get your bananas in, too, right? Like, you have a bunch of bananas that you bring in, and you have to put them down the hatch, and then you have to bring them to the galley to store in your banana hammock. Uh, so, you know, everything comes through those doors. So I'm I, I'm a little bit surprised that they seemed it seemed big, but uh, you know, in retrospect, really they probably are quite sizable. Yeah, I mean, I've been on a submarine. We may have talked about it before. I did that sub tour in oh, yeah. San Diego many many years ago. It was pretty cool. It was definitely cramped in there, and you know, the things like the bunks where people, where crew members slept were very small and tight. And, you know, you sit up violently in the night, you're going to hit your head quickly yeah. on the one above you. How long are they? Are they really, are they long enough to like stretch out or are they just you're not really allowed to stretch out? Um, I don't remember thinking they were especially short. Like I do feel like an average, average size person could probably stretch out, but... I don't know. I feel like I would remember if they were like really small and you had to have your legs bent the whole time. That doesn't sound comfortable, boy. They hot rack, you know. They, uh, three guys to a bunk and you take turns sleeping in it. Oh yeah. That makes sense. I mean, they got to conserve space, right? So yeah. So when you get in, it's still warm from the guy before. (laughs) I mean, what's, uh, what's more uncomfortable feeling? Getting into a bed that's still warm from the guy before or sitting on a toilet seat that's still warm from the person before you? Oh, that probably happens too. There's only like probably a few heads in there. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you kind of let go of that personal space Mm -hmm. in order to, and you have to be able to let go of that personal space need in order to be a submariner, right? Like you got to be a special kind of person to be able to live in a submarine for any length of time. Yeah. Uh, Me, for example, I don't think I'd go down the hatch in, in like, if it was like welded open, and it was a, you know, uh, you went down a museum sub, right? What do you call that? Uh, whatever that was. So I don't know if I would go in there because I'm claustrophobic. Mm. So there's probably not a big chance that I would, I would really want to see it, but I don't know if I'd be able to bring myself to go down there. Well, it was pretty cool, but I can see that. I'm sure part of the naval training for submarine officers involves just that, like how to live on a submarine in such a cramped space. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I figure, I feel like that would be a valuable thing to at least give some tips on before you put a bunch of guys in there and say, see yeah. you later. And that's actually part of the firefighting trainer uh, training as well, right? You uh, try and uh, make somebody uncomfortable in that kind of conditions where it's hot and you can't see anything right. and you're wearing, you know, 600 pounds of gear or whatever they're doing, 
Uh, there was there was a point in my life where I had signed up to be a firefighter, and I actually got accepted to enter the training program. And then I started reading about the training program, and then started talking about the claustrophobia training. And I went, "Fuck that shit! I'm out. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out. I can't. I'm not even going to bother because yeah. I knew I'd get I'd get fucking canned out of there so fast." Well, sounds pretty scary. I guess they don't want, I mean, they want to weed out the people that are not going to make good firefighters. So it's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably the conditions under which you'd have to work on a regular basis. Uh, you know, being altruistic is one thing. You're wanting to help people and save people and, and uh, you know, protect and uh, do what you want to do to be a firefighter. That was all well and good. But if you can't, if you're physically unable to handle the uh, claustrophobia aspect to it, then you really shouldn't do it because you're going to be endangering your life and everybody else's life around you. Absolutely. Okay, so fire- Anyway, I liked this episode. All right, firefighting and submarine crew members, who knew they were so similar? But I'll start on a positive. I thought the cold open for this episode wasn't bad. It was was this scene, well, it started with scenes of Morgan's town all deserted. It felt really bleak to me. I kind of liked that. And then the main part of it was Teddy and Dakota in the cockpit of the submarine. It was all darkened. They were having this conversation. And then we cut back to Morgan. He retrieves his axe and things like that. And I thought all this was done pretty well, actually. Um, And even the conversation that Teddy and Dakota were having, I guess he didn't really say too much new, at least in terms of what the audience knows. But he does lay it all out, I thought, a little more clearly than he has before. He tells Dakota that they're going to die. And he tries to explain to her that she never really felt comfortable with Virginia or anybody because she needed someone to love her just the way she is. And he is that person. Nobody else ever has been. And I guess what he's saying is, you're kind of a psycho. I'm kind of a psycho, so we're on the same page together, right? Yeah, or I'm a cult leader, and I want to indoctrinate you into the cult, so I'm going to say what uh, you really, really want to hear. Uh, And the fact that he knows what to say makes him a good cult leader. I suppose. I suppose that's true. But I, I actually listened to that and took it sort of as kind of genuine, like on face as face value from him, because like he says, like you're the result of a society that's built on lies and self-interest and violence. And we're going to end all that, including you and me, because we're products of it. And just the people that are worthy who are hidden away underground or whatever are going to be the ones that survive. So he was just kind of laying out his whole philosophy and explaining this to Dakota and she buys right into it. Yeah. Um, I thought it worked. I thought it worked pretty well. Um, so I liked this cold open and I did like how it was shot too with the darkness and then the power comes on and, and stuff like that. Uh, the other thing we learn here is that Riley was in fact the weapons officer on this sub. So that explains how they have someone on the team that knows how it works, knows how to yep. launch these missiles, do all the stuff they need to do. So he was, he was, he was a weapons officer or he was WEPS. He was the guy that was in charge of weapons. I didn't but, really know there was a distinction, but he was something. Well, they like have that. more than one weapons officer. They have, right, fair. Uh, you know, it's a whole team, right? So, uh, whatever. Uh, so that helps explain 
you know, a lot of the, uh, the nuts and bolts. So now that we have the knowledge that it's solid rocket fuel, uh, and we have someone who knows how to program the guidance system and how to launch the nukes, because like, like I said before, it's probably not as easy as, or intuitive as uh, turning on a car right. and, and going. But, you know, even that, you know, for a complete layman, uh, if somebody who's never driven or been in a car before, uh, all of a sudden, you know, here's the keys, away you go. It's like, what are the keys for, first of all? Uh, you know, it's not as intuitive as you think. It's the fact that we've been part of that for our whole lives. So having someone on board the sub that knows how to launch the missiles is very helpful. Absolutely. And later in the episode, I think Teddy even says to Riley something along the lines of, you know, what are the targets you have programmed in or something, right? So it just, yeah, it just tells us he knows how to do all this and that was his job. So fair enough. And the, the, the only other thing that really happens during this cold open is Morgan and his gang show up on this hill up above looking out over the sub and over the ocean there. And I even thought that was kind of cool, the way they just mm-hmm. all rode up and they got out and it had this really awesome kind of percussive music and, and, and it worked really well for me. So cold open, great. Good start. Yep. <laughs> um, But then from there, I must admit, the rest of it, I had a lot of questions. I found it confusing and perplexing in a lot of scenes. And I fear that from this point on in the podcast, it's just going to come off as a list of a list of confusing things for me. So I'm going to rely on you, Jason, to to steer me in the right direction on some of this stuff, because I do have a kind of a long list or an itemized, you know, a version of this episode with all the stuff that bugged me as it went on. I think we're, I think maybe you and I are probably a little off brand, uh, this episode because, uh, you have the nitpick picnic list and I don't have one. I didn't find it overly confusing. I didn't find it overly nitpickable. I found it, uh, you know, the fact that they, they go down a hole and they have a Geiger counter and uh, they have to try and find their way to, uh, you know, where the missiles are launched. Mm-hmm. You know, and as far as people who've never been on a submarine before, that's exactly what they would do. They would go, hey, there's a hatch. Let's open that one. Is that the closest hatch? I got no fucking idea. Let's open the hatch and go down there and see what we can find. And so, and then you realize, oh yeah, this is a, this is a nuclear submarine. There's probably a nuclear power plant in there. Uh, we should have a Geiger counter. Luckily, we have a nuclear technician who has a, a Geiger counter. Uh, yeah, so that was, that was lucky. Very. <laughs> <laughs> and so they go down a hole with the Geiger counter, and that is, uh, you know, in every post-apocalyptic video game I've ever played, I've had a Geiger counter of some kind where I wander around, and that Geiger counter starts ticking off, and that's, you know, instant tension. It's easy tension. It's It's believable tension. It's just like, holy shit, radiation because radiation's goddamn scary it's bad stuff right? you don't feel it you don't you, you could be right next to a nuclear source and not have any clue until you start blistering and throwing up Ugh. and then at that point you probably only have a couple of days to live and it's not going to be a couple of pleasant days i don't think so so uh i found that the tension believable like the going down there and then every hatch is a uh, you know, a, a 
a portal to doom, essentially. And you open that hatch, you don't know what's going to be beyond there, but you know it's going to be fucking trouble because there's going to be zombies and there's going to be radioactive zombies because there's radiation in here. Uh, and we have to go through because the only other option is to do the obvious thing, which is go up out of the hatch, go down the submarine a little bit, and then go into another hatch. Okay. That's a problem. Well, well, okay. Here, that's where we'll start. So Sean on the internet wrote an email and said, I only have one question for you guys this week, and I would love to hear your opinion on this. How did Dakota, Riley, and Teddy get past all the hundreds of zombies that we had to watch everyone else fight past? And I guess your answer is, there's another hatch. There's many hatches. Okay. One submarine does not have just one hatch. That'd be the dumbest thing ever. Okay, that's fair. That's fine. And that's that's sort of the answer I came to as well. Um, but does it explain why Morgan and team used the hatch that they did? Why not go back out, try another hatch, maybe closer to the front of the sub? Well, the CIC is not in the front of the sub. It's probably near the conning tower. So the part that sticks up the most, well, wherever. that's probably where you want to go down. Because that's going to be nearest to the, like there's going to be, you go down there and then the bridge is probably uh, down there somewhere. And then I guess this is the biggest problem I had was there, were they on the bridge? I don't think they were on the bridge. They were in uh, the missile launch room which is, would be different than the bridge. Yeah, to be fair, I don't know if that's the same place. It probably isn't. It probably isn't because driving the sub and launching nukes from the sub are complete, two, diff- two different jobs, right? Yep. Uh, so I don't have, uh, you know, when I'm driving my car, the, uh, the weapons launch system is in the back seat, which <laughs> yeah. Jasper is in control of, of right? Because, you know, he's, he's direct, he's actually the navigator now. We've been mm-hmm. driving around the neighborhood and he's like, I'm like, left, right, or straight? Left. And so he's been picking directions. And mainly what I want to do out of that is, sorry for the aside, is to teach him the neighborhood. So mm. that for some reason he ends up someplace by himself in the neighborhood, he's at least somewhat familiar with uh, the streets and how to get home. I mean, it's just so. good teaching left and right too, frankly. Well, yeah, he's pretty good with his left and right. Oh, good. Already. Good. He well, can't make a decision in a timely manner to save his life though. It's it's uh, left, right, or straight. Left, right, or straight. Left, right, or straight. And we're already past the intersection. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I think you are absolutely right about uh, us tonight that uh, I have the nitpick picnic list and you do not because it bothered me that like there's people somewhere in this sub who who got in and yeah. we have this other group who who needs to go in and they have to fight through radiation and zombies and all this kind of stuff I, I feel like they needed to explain that somehow and related to that the conversation that Dakota and Teddy uh, were having at the beginning she asks him something about, you know, does everybody here know? Does everyone know they're going to die? And how did you convince them and all this kind of stuff, right? And I thought it was a great conversation. But I started thinking, where is everybody? Are are, are there other uh, of Teddy's people here? Why isn't there anybody outside the sub guarding the hatches? Like, where are all these people? And again, if Morgan and the group had to go in this one particular hatch because there were too many of Teddy's people guarding the easy hatches, we'll somehow show that to us. Like, that's an explanation, but I had to make that up on my own, and I I thought that was a bit lame. So you just needed a little backstory on why why this hatch? 
Well, I feel like I did. Yeah, I feel like I did because it seems like a, a very easy thing to go down a hatch, realize that you're nowhere near you need to be where you need need to be. And the way is infested with uh, a whole bunch of semen zombies. And so go back out and try a different hatch. Right. And that makes sense. I assume that Teddy's people weren't here because uh, he wanted them to all die. And there's no reason to have them here because the more people you have uh, in the nuclear submarine where you're going to launch nukes to kill everybody, including yourselves, the more chances you have for somebody to go, you know what? I don't like this idea. You know, at the yeah. last minute. Yeah, and I then, guess so. Uh, start shooting up the place. Uh, so that's maybe not everybody knows where the sub is and it's just uh it's just a select few that need to be there i guess so but my point was that D dakota seemed to indicate that there were others there and then we never saw them except for one lady who was you know dead from radiation cuz she was one of those radiation zombies that we saw last season yeah um so she was one of teddy's people but that was the only one so i'm not sure why there weren't more well, um, we had people, we had to have people working on the diesel generator because that got working and you don't fix a diesel generator from whatever command and control room they were in. Yeah, right? I guess so, not. But, but, uh, Riley disappeared for a while to go do that. And I sort of thought he went and did it, but I, I guess he can't do that by himself. Right. Well, I know I couldn't. Yeah. Fair. But you know, f you know, fix the diesel generator. Okay, first of all, where is it? Second of all, would I recognize it if I saw it? What does it look like? <laughs> <laughs> what does it look like? It, I assume it takes diesel. Is there diesel? <laughs> do I just have to fill up the tank and press a button? Because that's all well, no, I can do. Well, diesel's a little harder than that. I, that I know from the days of when I used to pump gas. Yeah. I used to pump diesel. I, I s sort of know the difference between diesel and gasoline. Until one guy came in and said, I want a gallon of diesel and then fill the rest up with gasoline. I'm like, I'm not sure I should do that. And yeah. then he went on a tirade about being a fucking engineer that worked <laughs> at the power plant and stuff. So I just did what he asked and he left. Okay. Well, that's probably a good policy. My daughter, my boss's daughter filled up their gas car with diesel once. I thought that was a funny story. Oh, look, this nice, uh, this, this handle's nice and yellow today. Yeah. And the, the <laughs> nozzles are different. They, there's a different standard, so you can't jam one in the wrong hole, or at least Apparently one doesn't go in one. Apparently you can. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, that's new from when I used to fill up diesel. Sure. Until one guy, uh, uh, a tow truck came up uh, and needed diesel and he proceeded to put, uh, fill the um, hydraulic fluid tank full of diesel. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then my boss was so mad because he had to fix that whole tow truck. He had to drain everything and clean it all. And it took him like 20 hours worth of work to fix this fucking truck. Well, good times. Yeah. Here's another email from Elodie on the internet. And Elodie writes, when Morgan goes down the ladder after entering the submarine, he's attacked by a zombie. Fear the Walking Dead must be on a very tight budget because they apparently don't have enough money to extend the mask of the zombies to cover up their necks. Once Morgan has killed the zombie, there's a shot showing the dead zombie lying on the ground from above, and you can see clearly that the actor is wearing a mask, since you can see it stops halfway down his neck. It is really a shame. So I went back to check this, and um, I think, Elodie, actually what you're seeing is the guy's shirt, because he's wearing those uh, sort of sub-uniform overalls, 
and the neck is open a little bit and there's a shirt t-shirt under it so it's not a mask that ends and that's his neck it's a brown t-shirt that may kind of look like skin so um i don't think it was that egregious of of an error but when i did pause it to look at it it really did jump out at me that it was a mask though to be honest with you so i think there was something a little off about the mask effects there um but it but it wasn't so bad that it was just like some regular human's neck under under a zombie mask. Yeah, you know, frankly, I think I'm in this day and age. I'm a, I'm willing to forgive that kind of oversight. And it's not like it was a goddamn Starbucks coffee cup, right, or a bottle of water. Sure, like they had in Game of Thrones. Oh, a bottle of water right? showed up in um, in Walking Dead too, way back in season one. Not that a oh, bottle yeah. of water would be uncommon, but there was a zombie in the background taking a big swig of the bottle of water. Nice. Yeah. Zombies got to drink. They do. Yeah. And eat. That's what, you know, that's their whole thing. Of course. That's their whole thing. <laughs> and uh, pe- zombies, we know, have residual memories from when they were alive. Right. And a lot of people drink water from water bottles. I personally don't because I don't drink water. Uh, that's not true. I, I love <laughs> I mean, nice glass of ice water. Sure. But uh, I don't drink from a water bottle. I never have. Yeah. Well, but, you know, some people do. And when they're dead, they remember that. Of course. The thing that bothered me about this zombie more once I started analyzing the scene too closely is that its hands just like looked like normal human living hands, albeit dirty, but they just looked like hands. And I thought they needed to, if they're going to zombie up the face so much, zombie up the hands a little bit too. Yeah, I, I would say, I would say so. Didn't they have that problem with the cats movie where the, uh, the people, the, the cat's hands look like hands i don't remember the the only thing i remember about that recent cats movie is somebody claimed there was a butthole cut where the cats had buttholes and then they digitally removed them all before the release but i i don't know how true that is but i think it's a funny story (laughs) it is a funny story and if you're going to have a cat uh movie you know if you and you want to make it even a little bit plausible you gotta see their buttholes i mean how many of us have had cats and you just that's just the normal thing. You're going to see a cat butthole. Yes, you are. Walking around because uh-huh. that's what they do. It's right? very Tail so. goes up when they're happy, butthole comes out. It's <laughs> the way it works. It's, it's a thing about cats. You got to be comfortable with that. And I think that if I'm not going to see a movie, uh, it's not going to be, there's going to be a lot of negatives. If I'm not going to see a movie, I'm not going to see it because it has buttholes in it. So I didn't see the cats movie, but it's not because it had buttholes. It's because it was a horrible idea uh, from the get-go. And then they fucked it up because they screwed up all the CGI and they made it all weird. Some cats have clothes, others don't. Uh, what's, what's with that? Why would Judy Dench need a fucking jacket? I don't know. She's a cat. She has a cat jacket and she's a cat. It's a deep question that we'll have to answer another day. And with the uh, the recent release, apparently you don't get to see her butthole at all. Oh, damn it. Then what's the point? <laughs> Jesus. What's the point? All right. So I'm more willing to forgive a mask uh, or even partially seen uh, in this, uh, something that was filmed in this day and age uh, than I would be in the previous year. Fair enough. Here's another of my nitpicks, Jason. Okay. Morgan goes into the sub with this team and he tries to turn it essentially into a suicide mission. He, of course, wants to go in by himself 
and leave everybody behind, but they all speak up and say, I'm coming with you. You're not going alone. We're all here to stand with you, including Strand. Everybody says this. And I'm kind of just tired of this trope. Like, why bring the whole team in just to have that scene? Like, I, if, if I never have to listen to another conversation about, I'm going in alone. Oh, no, you're not. Like, it'll be too soon. Can we can well, we can we strike strike that from the the uh, template of movies and TV show writing, please? Granted, thank you. <laughs> Just flat out granted. And yeah. I think you're probably jaded a little bit from uh, Army of the Dead because that was one of the annoying bits of uh, Army of the Dead too, with the daughter. Mm-hmm. I'm coming along because somebody's in there for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, so. We don't need that anymore, right? Either bring them or don't. But you don't have to talk about it. Uh, so that bothered me a bit. And then, uh, and then shortly after that, there's a scene where they're all still together. Morgan kind of sneaks off, right, to go off on his own. Strand follows him. It turns into the Morgan and Strand show. But the rest of the gang just sort of wanders off in their own directions. And that made no sense to me. Like, A... Why bring them all onto the sub if they're just going to wander around and go their own separate ways like that, like they have anywhere to go in a friggin' submarine? And and also, within the story, why split up? Like, you all have the same goal. You're trying to get to the same place. It's not like you need someone to go here to turn a switch that's going to unlock a door somewhere else so they can get through. Like, there's no plan. They just all come in and then wander off on their own. It felt weird to me, and I didn't like it. Yeah, they're NPCs. It doesn't matter what they're doing. When they're not on the screen, they don't exist. It felt like it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I can't really explain that. I agree with that one. I agree with that one. Kind of bothered me. All right, moving on. Uh, Next one. Of course, this submarine has some kind of working intercom system. So, you know, they get in there and the first thing they do in you know, in Fear the Walking Dead style is they give the characters radios so they can communicate over distance. Now, maybe that's a real thing, and you can tell me if it is, but I also thought it was just terribly convenient. So, I guess a couple of things. One is the actual radios that worked over the air didn't work in a submarine. As soon as they started broadcasting from inside a submarine, I'm I'm thinking to myself, you're in the world's best Faraday cage. There's no fucking way you're getting a radio signal out of there. Yes. And they didn't. Great. And that was good. That's great. Yeah. Okay. And working, sub, working uh, intercom system on a submarine, I would assume that the communication system on a submarine is probably one of the ro- most robust systems on that boat and in submarines in general because submarines uh, are built because uh, you know they're not pleasure cruises they're <laughs> going to get friggin hit with shit yep. there's going to be depth charges there's going to be uh, you know torpedoes there's going to be rocks there's going to be nuclear disasters. There's there's going to be, uh, you know, zombie outbreaks. <laughs> you know, any number of things can go wrong in a submarine. The whole, you know, half the thing could get flooded. And that communication system has to work. And probably, most likely, what that communication system includes is a way to hand crank some goddamn electricity to make sure it works. If everything shuts down, there's probably a hand crank that charges a capacitor or some kind of battery 
to allow you to communicate because you don't need a lot of power over a communication system like that. You know, no. small speakers, uh, pushing, a, so there's not a lot of electricity required. So I would assume if there's any kind of power on the ship at all, the communication system would work. And to be fair, there was because early on Riley comes in and says something about we're running on the emergency battery power right now before he gets the diesel powered up. So what you're saying is that these radios would be powered by that emergency battery operated power. Yes. They're an essential system. Communication is key. If you can't talk to the back of the boat when something's going on, uh, you might as well just get out and push. <laughs> and that's not going to help. <laughs> no. So fair enough. Um, I felt like it was convenient and maybe I'm just a little bit tired of seeing so many radios on Fear the Walking Dead, but if it makes sense, it makes sense. Now, it did lead to one of an, another scene that I actually kind of appreciated on this one, and that was where they first get Teddy on that radio and they're talking to him. And when John Dory Sr. speaks up and um, introduces himself, I thought it was the first time that Teddy was taken off his guard a little bit, and I liked that. You could hear it in his voice when he was talking back to him, at least for a couple of sentences before he kind of yeah. got his wits about him again. And I thought that was pretty well done. I liked that scene. I did too. I thought that was, uh, you know, was, he didn't recognize his voice off the, off the top, mm -hmm. but that's okay. You know, if somebody, if I hadn't heard somebody's voice for 20, 30 years, it might take me a couple of tries to figure it out. Uh, but once he knew that it was Officer Dory, uh, yeah, I liked the fact that he was taken off guard and then he was, uh, uh, he was rocked back on his heels a little bit. Sure. Because that's, it's, he would have been right. He's like, this is the guy that put him away and it's probably the last person he's expecting to come after him on this sub. So it, it made a lot of sense. And I think the actor did a good job portraying that. So I appreciated that bit. And that's kind of what we got out of the radios or the sub communication system that uh, was the good thing. Otherwise it sort of bothered me. Okay. Well, uh, moving along, we get to the scene where Strand betrays Morgan. So yeah. they are stuck in a part of the sub. There are a lot of zombies coming around. They're stuck in the bunks actually, I think. And Strand surprises Morgan, pushes him into a crowd of zombies. He falls down, zombies all over him, and Strand escapes. And this came after Strand and the whole team, which they've now, you know, long left behind, but had been telling Morgan, you're not doing this alone. We're in this to save everybody's life. Um, he... Strand says to him as he pushes him, you don't want any of us to die. You're going to get your wish. So I was at first really confused about what Strand was doing here. Not that it was totally out of character for Strand, because this no. is the kind of thing he does. But this felt extreme even for him. And, really? and especially after what he'd said earlier in this episode, right? About wanting to help and, and do the right thing and stuff like that. Then he pushes his friend into the zombies so he can escape. Yeah, yeah, but I, I know Strand <laughs> is a bit of a double crosser and stuff like that, but but I don't know. I felt like this was too much even for him. Now, upon thinking about it a little bit, I I think what he was trying to do is Strand felt like there was no way out of this situation. 
for both of them. So what he did is he was sacrificing one so he could get away and complete the mission. That's right. Is that noble or is that an well, asshole thing to do? It's a little bit of both, right? The really noble thing to do is to sacrifice yourself so that your buddy can do the job. But, you know, on the flip side, if you got to sacrifice somebody, why does it have to be you? You know, if you, somebody needs to be sacrificed in order to go, uh, you know, the noble thing to do would be for you to sacrifice yourself. But yeah. there's no reason why you can't sacrifice somebody else to get a, to get away. Yeah, this, I mean, it's a shitty thing to do. It's a crappy thing to do. But I didn't think this was out of character of Strand, and it was not out of uh, reasonability. Because the reasonable thing to do would be to sacrifice yourself so that somebody else could get away. And we've seen that in movies and TV throughout our entire lives. But Strand doing this thing is exactly the same thing, but the decision was made by somebody else rather than the person making the sacrifice. The the other problem I have with it is I have gotten to a point where I I sometimes don't feel like our characters are ever really put in situations that are impossible to get out of you know they're so good at killing zombies yes they're in this small little area but good lord if there's one environment where it would be easy to manage the flow of zombies because it's nothing but choke points is a submarine right have a hatch where only one or two can get through at a time kill them another couple come through you kill those i just don't feel like they were in a situation strand and morgan i mean where where they couldn't have just started killing them. And even as they fall to the ground, like the other zombies are going to trip over them and stuff, you know, it, it didn't feel like they were in that much danger and strand went for this anyways. Well, that's true. I mean, it's almost like nobody that neither of them have seen 300 before, you know, and that's based off of a a true, a true legend. I'm not sure if it's real, real, but it's a legendary real where, you know, you can hold off the entire uh, horde. I forget who was, they were fighting against. Uh, but you can fight off that whole horde if you can control the choke point, mm-hmm. like you said. Right? It doesn't matter how many there are because they all got to come through one at a time. Yep. So, you know, you know, no problem. Yeah. You know, you might clog the doorway or the hatch, uh, which you might have to deal with in, at a later stage of the battle. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I think, I think you might have a point there. I mean, to be fair, this was something I was thinking throughout the episode. Anytime there were zombies beyond a hatch, I'm like, I mean, it's not that big a deal to open it. First of all, they have to step over a thing to get through. Zombies aren't really known for their ability to step through an enclosed uh, space like that. These are submariners yeah. and they have residual memories. They I can know. probably get through pretty quick. Okay, fair, but not that, no, not faster than a regular living person. So I think you could kill them as they were coming through. So it bothered me throughout a little bit. Well, zombies don't just fall down, right? When they're walking around because of residual memory that they, they, they have that ability to just walk, right? They don't just yeah. fall down. So if you're used to walking through a submarine and going over hatches, uh, hatch, you know, the lip of the hatch, I don't think that's a problem. Well, no, I'm not saying they couldn't do it. I'm just saying it would at least slow them down a little bit. And again, it's a choke point. So you'd be able to control the flow to a certain degree. Morgan and Strand were in the in the bunks, so not really a choke point, but it was still a door. And yes, they had nowhere to escape to, so it was definitely dangerous. But I just think they could have started fighting them off and maybe been okay. So that aside... Uh, Strand made this call to like push Morgan into it. He also breaks his weapon, which pissed me off a little bit because I really like that weapon. 
Uh, he'll make another one. It's I, fine. It's like Thor's hammer. You just make another one. I guess so. Yeah. He'll forge another one. Um, anyways, I thought it was a bit extreme for Strand. And to sort of pile on to that later on towards the end of the episode, Morgan accuses Strand of only wanting to do all this to look like a hero for Alicia. And to me, I was like, what? <laughs> that seems, seems strange. Why is Strand so obsessed with what Alicia thinks? Like, what am I missing here? I know they've known each other for a long time. They're old friends. They don't know where she is and stuff like that. And um, he heard her on the radio when, when Alicia was radioing the plan really quickly in the, in the other episode. But is that really it? Like, is Strand going for the glory for Alicia? Uh, it did, that didn't make any sense. And, and why would he be? I just, I don't, I don't get it. And that, jealous. That, and that doesn't explain like this entirely, but it sort of is what Morgan was saying. It's like, you know, you, you wanted to get out of that situation and be the hero for her. I'm like, really? I don't know if he does. So. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. So it, it just, it just doesn't really work for me. Um. Anything else about that before I continue with my no, nitpick please. here? All right. How does Morgan survive that? That's my next question. He's he's on the ground, full of zombies, other than plot armor. How does he survive that, honestly? Um. Well, be, obviously he was going to survive it. We knew as soon as he got pushed, they're not killing off Morgan. I mean, I don't know. They killed off John Dory. They killed off Virginia. Uh, they might kill off Morgan. I... They're filming season seven now, to be quite honest. I don't know if he's filming it. I kind of assume he is, but I, I just thought it was one of those situations where like there were four of them on top of him. I just don't see him getting out of that alive, but it is Morgan. He knows what he's doing. So maybe, um, okay. The, the biggest question I have is why don't I have a problem with this? I mean, first of all, it's not the most egregious error or issue that uh, the Walking Dead universe has had with people being put into situations where, yeah, they're fucking dead and they're totally not, or they're totally not dead and yet they continue to appear as dead. I mean, there's no dumpster in sight for him to hide under, right? So There's no dumpster in sight. It's, uh, so he's not bit, he should have been. You should at least have a bite mark on him. That's what I was expecting. Yeah. I was expecting him to uh, to get out of there, but secretly have a bite mark. And that still may happen. Yeah. I was going to bring that up too. Is he maybe bitten? Is he, is he on his way? You know, and we just don't know it yet. I would actually accept that a little bit more than he just gets out of it secretly like they needed to take morgan out of the story for 20 seconds in this episode because it comes back really quickly right the next scene is is the thing where dakota sneaks up on strand and and goes to shoot him and he's rescued by morgan so like morgan wasn't gone very long i have a problem with that scene well just we'll, we'll get there yeah we'll get there in a second but do you think maybe morgan actually is bit here and he's going to be a casualty of the season finale next week. Uh, honestly, I hope so. Yeah, I kind of do too. It's weird. It it seems like a, a, a situation where you shouldn't be able to get out of unless you have uh, you were bitten by a zombie. Uh, so I kind of hope so, but I don't really expect that to be the case. No. I had no fear for Morgan's safety when that happened. I was more... 
holy shit, I can't believe Strand did that. But that makes a lot of sense because it's Strand. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I don't really want Morgan to be killed off. I do think they've done a lot of good things with him this, this season. I don't think the last two or three episodes have been quite as good, and I'm a little worried the season is going to like fizzle out or or die right at the end here after more or less being pretty good, I think, for season six. But I kind of want there's to be some consequences for this too. I mean, it would be it would be interesting for I I would hope anyways, it would be interesting for Strand to have to reckon with this you know, pushing Morgan into these zombies and it actually killed him. But then maybe not because what else did he expect to happen, right? Yeah. Um, and I also think it would be interesting to see Morgan killed off the show all of a sudden like this. Now, I mean, are we just supposed to believe that Morgan is that badass, that he's that awesome, that he can be, you know, in a narrow hallway with four zombies on top of him and get out of it alive? Maybe we are. Maybe that's what the show is asking us to do, but I feel like that's asking kind of a lot. He's pretty wily. So, you know, I think we're expected to believe that uh, he could get out of a situation that dire. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I just, I'm not sure that's the best storytelling decision. We'll have to see. So maybe he is bit. And uh, you and I will have to be excited when he is. <laughs> uh, let's hope. Let's hope. All right, let's talk about the Dakota thing. So Dakota sneaks up on Strand, and um, I didn't mind some of this. Uh, she gets on the intercom and gives her little speech, reiterating what Teddy was saying, uh, but in a way that it's kind of simplified down to the simplest terms. What she says to Strand is, can you actually be the kind of person that Morgan wants you to be? And... I appreciated the fact that he didn't answer. He didn't say yes or no, but you could tell on his face that he clearly doesn't think he can. Morgan wants everyone to be these good, noble human beings. And this comes right after Strand just did what he did. And I think he's thinking to himself, well, obviously, I'm never going to live up to what Morgan is trying to build here. And I kind of liked that. I did think that was that was a good bit. Uh, but you know, Dakota coming out of nowhere was, a, was my first thought. And I'm like, where, you know, there's only so many hallways here again. Where did she come from? Well, there's, there's more than one hallway, so okay. that's fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> what did you have a problem with here? Well, uh, the way I want to break this down is she was pointing a gun at Strand and I assume that she was aiming for center of mass, but let's assume just for fun, she was aiming at his head. Uh-huh. Okay, so Morgan comes in with a stick. He has uh, the stick part of his axe, uh, and he whacks Dakota in the gun hand, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And then Strand gets shot in the left shoulder, and that doesn't make any sense to me, because if she was aiming for center of mass and he whacked her from the left-hand side, uh, the gun would go down and to the left which would shoot Strand in the leg or somewhere off to the right-hand side of his body. But if she was aiming for center mass, he would have had to knock the weapon up in order to get Strand in the shoulder. Uh, but then the, the shot right after, the sorry, the, the, uh, the camera shot right after was him recovering from whacking the gun down. Okay. So 
the physics didn't make any sense to me <laughs> whatsoever. You have a problem with the logistics of the physics in this scene. That's right. All right. Uh, I should then, have known. But then she turns on, uh, she grabs the axe part of the axe, uh, Morgan's axe, and takes a swing at him. And that looked like it was going to be, uh, you know, a coup de, a coup de tas. Coup de gras, like this, the final move to kill uh, Morgan. But then, I'm then as, as soon as that started happening, I'm like, Morgan's a stick master. He's gonna, and then that's exactly what happened. Was uh, he just like dealt with her without any muss or any fuss? None. Uh, and I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Fair. So I I can see your point here uh, that the gunshot isn't isn't really great. I I wasn't really thinking about that at the time though. I I. As I was talking about, I appreciated that sort of um, character moment to this where Strand realizes that he's never going to live up to what Morgan wants him to be. And then he closes his eyes and seems to accept the fact that he's about to die. She's going to pull the trigger and then Morgan saves him. So I liked all that and it distracted me from the fact that sort of none of this made sense from a physics standpoint. Well, let's put it this way. If I was a police officer or a detective and I had interviewed these three people after the incident and they described what happened, I would be thinking, that's fucking bullshit. Somebody's lying to me. Like, that's not what happened. And the, uh, whatever forensics they do or, you know, trajectory crap, you know, bring in whatever cop show you want to do that. Yeah. But- uh, if somebody was describing to me, if the three of them described all consistently described that situation, I would assume somebody's lying. Like somebody would have to be lying about that situation. Yeah, of course. Somebody would have been, I'm sure. Yeah. So it didn't make any sense. All doesn't, right. Doesn't, uh, doesn't cut the muster. Does not cut the muster. Uh, all right. So now we get the key card thing where he's just trying key cards in the door. Uh, great. Fine, but, you know, maybe show Morgan grabbing a key card once or twice in the episode as we lead up to this. No, because that's the whole point Strand made was if I hadn't have done that, you wouldn't have grabbed any key cards and we wouldn't be here being able to do this now, wouldn't we? It's all fate and well good, well and good, and aren't I a good person for being a bad person? Boy, that's a stretch. <laughs> Boy, that's a stretch. But I, I felt like the scene in, in some ways was almost comic relief. It's like, swipe, eh. Swipe, eh, swipe, eh. Oh, this is the last one. You better hope to God it's the right one. Swipe, ding. Like, that seems funny to me more than anything else. Well, if I was a card reader, uh, I would probably call bullshit after about the fourth or fifth card that went through uh, in a row. I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to open this door because there's a lot of people scanning their cards all of a sudden. I think maybe I'm just going to not do that for you. Basic security. Yeah. You know, get locked out after five incorrect tries. But it wasn't, it wasn't five incorrect tries with each card. Like it wasn't one card trying five times. Yeah. It was one card being tried two or three times, but then there was just a, you know, consistent failure card, failure card, failure card, failure card. Uh, You know, maybe I shouldn't open the door. Maybe not. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a nuclear submarine. I probably should have a little more responsibility than just... Being a dumb, yeah, come on in. You're obviously, you know, you're, authorized. You're good. Why you're not? You're good. <laughs> Anyways, they get in, of course, but they're too late. The missile, one of the missile launches, and okay, fine, missile launch. That's cool. You can't introduce yeah. a nuclear missile in a show at the beginning and then not launch it at the end. So they did. Yep. 
the rest of the group, Lucy, Sarah, everybody out there, the rabbi, they're still standing there on that hill. Weren't they supposed to go to a naval base or somewhere for safety? They talked about that earlier when they had the radio. Somebody was at a naval base. Well, is it them? I, I think so. I think they were saying that a, like Charlie and somebody else went and were looking at the schematics for the sub so they could tell them where to go. We didn't see any of that, but Charlie's there at the end. They're not in a naval base. If anything, they came back. Okay, fair. Maybe they came back, but I'm pretty sure at one point earlier on, they radioed out and said, yeah, get to safety, go to this naval, naval base. There's a basement there we can, we can hide in. There they are, just standing there at the end. So felt like that. Maybe that's a nitpick, but I didn't really get it. Maybe that's my problem. Yeah, I didn't clue in on that. Yeah, I don't but know. if I was there, I would just stand there and gawk. There's no goddamn way you'd tear me away from uh, a missile launch, even though it was ridiculously close and dangerous, and a nuclear missile coming from a nuclear sub. Uh, I would stand there and die. What else are you gonna do? Yeah, at that point. So to be fair, okay, maybe they were just there for the show, you know. I've seen the space shuttle launch a couple times. It's exciting. Have you? Like real in real real life? Uh once in real life, yeah. Really? Yeah, it, was, it was neat. I w- I would have liked that. Yep, it was fun. Long time ago. I was 11 years old. So long yeah. time ago. I'm not sure I've ever been 11. I know it's hard to remember that long ago. I wouldn't yeah, be Yeah, I don't think it happened. I might have skipped it. Maybe. Maybe you did. <laughs> right from 10 to 12. (laughs) Yeah, it happened, I think. All right. So Morgan and Strand get in. The missile's gone. Why do they let Teddy and Riley go, Jason? They just let them walk out of there. Well, it's Morgan. You know, what else are they going to do? Like, kill you in retribution? They've already launched the missile. It's not like, it's not a bell you can unring. So is Morgan, you're saying he's just so defeated at this point he doesn't even care anymore he's like you guys go i mean we didn't stop the missile so too late yeah right there's nothing to do it's not like they have a prison to put him in or laws or you know a judicial system in any way shape or form like what are we going to do what's the ramifications i can either kill you out of retribution or not i mean the missile's gone there's nothing there's, there's nothing left to do. You don't, don't go. You don't think killing them would have been sort of the expected outcome here, even though the missile's gone already? Because I kind of did. And, and, yeah. and remember, Morgan Jones is dead. Remember, you're dealing with a whole different person now. He said that, I don't know, episode one or two or whatever it was. Oh, he's been so flip-floppy since the beginning that who the fuck knows? He was flip-floppy before this season, but I think that moment solidified him. But now... I feel like he's a little flip-floppy again. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. You might have uh, argued yourself into a corner there. He's been flip-floppy until he wasn't flip-floppy, but now he seems to be flip-floppy again. Yeah. and so, Doesn't that mean he's always been flip-floppy? <laughs> okay. You make a valid point. And I hate that. Like, Jesus, s- solidify him into something. I'm not saying people can't be deep or have multiple dimensions to their character, but going back and forth between the two, I thought we were over that with Morgan, but here we are. And he just lets them walk out of there. I, I wanted him to kill them. Uh, and he didn't. I wanted him to take them prisoner. And he didn't. He just sort of gives up. And it's like, well, missile's gone. You guys go home. We'll just leave. Maybe you can come back later and launch another missile. I don't care anymore. You know? Well, you got to start pulling wires at that point, right? You got to try and nullify the ability to do it again. Yeah, 
I guess so. So rather than having, you know, shots fired in this place, uh, you would, and, or stabbing them to death and having to deal with a couple of bodies, maybe just let them walk out of here uh, so that he can deal with uh, shutting the sub down and somehow making it safe. I'm I don't sure know how you would do that. Yeah. Just pull a whole lot of wires. Oh, take one of the key consoles with you. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. If that console's not there, you're not launching shit. I mean, so just take that. Take the keys with you and well, destroy no, keys them. Keys that can find. Well, that's no, that's the, the whole destroy them. Yeah. What are you going to do? Take them back to Mount Doom? Uh, you know, do you, you got to do something else, right? You can't just take, take the keys because then somebody will find the keys later. I'm just like saying, you, I do think you could destroy them. Yeah. That, there is a difference there between the one ring and a couple of steel keys. Yes. A little bit. <laughs> Maybe you could throw the keys into the nuclear reactor. Uh, if you want them, go get them. Yeah. They're all yours. <laughs> <laughs> They're all yours. Good luck. All right. Well, I was a bit disappointed in how that, that all wrapped up. And like, that's pretty much the episode there. I mean, all we, we are now at a point where uh, the missile has been launched. We don't know where it's going because they didn't reveal it to us. And Teddy and Riley just get to walk away. And where do our characters go from here? We'll have to find out next week. But uh, let me ask you this question, sort of a Surely. general question about the whole episode. So we're on a submarine. It's yeah. full of zombies and we have to travel through the zombies to get from point A to point B where we're going to stop the launch of a nuclear missile. Yes. As I said earlier, a sub is nothing but choke points, which I would have felt like made killing walkers kind of easy. I mean, I guess as long as you don't fuck that up and get surrounded really badly or something like that. But these people know what they're doing or they're supposed to know what they're doing. Did this situation ever feel dangerous to you? Did you ever feel like our characters were in a real great amount of danger? When the uh, the radioactive zombie came, I thought that was, well, did I, there's two different questions to you. Uh, from you. Uh, one, and I have to answer them differently. Did I ever feel like the situation was dangerous? Yes. Did I ever feel like any of our characters were in danger of actually dying? No. Right. I felt tension, and that's fine, but I didn't feel like our characters were in jeopardy. The, th the thing about the killing of characters, I think, is they've learned that they need to do it when you're not expecting it, right? They need to, they need yeah. to, to, for the surprise, the shock and awe of it, you know? And I guess when you put a bunch of characters in a, in a submarine full of zombies and this is a situation that is supposed to be inherently dangerous, that's not when they're going to kill somebody off because you expect someone to die when they're stuck in a sub full of zombies. Instead, they kill people off at more unexpected moments, like when June actually pulled the trigger and killed Virginia. You don't really yeah. expect her to do that in that moment, but then she does. So maybe that's okay. Or when okay. Dakota killed John Dory. Right. When Dakota killed Don Jory. Don, Don Jory. Jory. <laughs> it's a good name too, though. We'll, it is. We'll keep, that in our, keep that in your back pocket for later. For sure. You're right. You don't expect that at the moment. So, you know, maybe that's okay. And if, if characters we're always dying when in da dangerous situations, you'd see it coming a mile away and that's fine. But I'm just saying I never really felt like they were in a great amount of peril in this episode. And I didn't really feel the tension of being stuck in a zombie filled submarine, which I feel like should be a cool thing. It should be a fun location or set piece or whatever you call it to, 
throw a bunch of people in a in a sub full of zombies and say good luck. But man, I don't just know. Thought of a better version of the story. Uh, what if John Dory was not killed by Dakota? Okay, and that he was the cop that put this guy away, not thirty years ago, but ten years ago, mm-hmm. uh, instead of his dad, and then. In the submarine, John Dory sacrificed himself so that Morgan could uh, get out of that situation, and then he actually died. Because John Dory is the type of person who would do that. He's not Strand, right? He's John Dory. No, that's what I. That's what I mean. He sacrificed himself. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying, and and I would believe that because it's John Dory, and he's that kind of guy. Is that story better than this one? Yes, I think it might be. I think it might be. And that sucks. Uh, you couldn't, you know, they introduced John Dory Sr. as a replacement for John Dory Jr. Yeah, you know, half of one, six of a dozen, no, half a dozen of one, six of another, or whatever that statement is. <laughs> yes. You know, you, you kill John Dory just to give us a new one. But, but it's not. It's not six of one, half dozen of another. It's not the same thing. It is, it is a new character that feels like a replacement for one that we just lost. So yeah. I, I think Garrett Dillahunt wanted to get off the show because he wanted to do other things. And so like they had- goddamn Army of the Dead? Yeah. Jesus. Like Garrett. goddamn Army of the Dead. So Think about what you're doing, man. Totally. <laughs> but, but you're right. Like, what, two more episodes? A few more episodes he could have done and then died in the way you just described? I actually think that's a better story. Have him- Sacrifice himself so Morgan can save everybody. Oh, yeah. That's what just, I want It reminds see. me of when I used to play Champions, which was a role-playing game where you had superpowers and you had a point system for superpowers, right? You had yeah. so many points to spend on telekinesis or heat ray vision or whatever. Uh, and then you could also take uh, something a disadvantage uh, where you would get a certain number of points that you could spend on another power. Like, for example, you're blind, like Daredevil, right? So you take the blindness disadvantage in order to gain an additional couple of points for a power uh, later. But if you take the disadvantage and then you spend the points on being able to see like Daredevil, uh, you know, what's the point? And so the way we used to phrase it was a disadvantage is not a disadvantage unless it's a disadvantage, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Which is a convoluted way of saying exactly that. So the, what I'm thinking here is we lose John Dory just to get another John Dory. That's exactly the same. He's a cop. He has a cop persona that did cop things and he's a sharpshooter. Why I, did we swap characters? Actually, didn't he say he's not that much of a sharpshooter? He said, John, if John he, was good shot, he didn't learn it from me. Well, that doesn't mean he's not a good shot. He just never taught his son oh, to shoot. Good point. Good point. Yeah, but his, right. you know, he does have the iron, the big irons that were, have been in their family for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, and he's been shooting. He d- he did a sharpshoot thing in this episode, right? Where he shot somebody from a distance and Morgan said, thanks or whoever it was. It was June that pulled that trigger. That wasn't even John Dory. That wasn't John Dory? I'm 99% sure June sh- fired that bullet. Yeah. Oh, I was assuming it was John Dory since it was a, you know, a good shot. Yeah, they were both pointing a gun, but June took the shot. But I'd have to double check that to be 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it was her. Anywho, um, yeah, I, where, where was I? I don't know. It just, I think that's a better story and I'm bummed even more now that we lost John Dory, even just a little bit prematurely. 
It's a difference without a distinction. <laughs> okay, there you right? go. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me now that I am thinking on it. Okay, so one more thing here is that now that we've seen Teddy's plan pretty much play out, I'm less yeah. on board with it overall. If you'd asked me five weeks ago or whatever, whenever it was when we first started getting an inkling of what was going on here, they were trying to get keys to get to a nuclear sub to detonate the weapons. I was like, okay, fair. This is, this is something I could see myself watching. But now that we've seen it play out, it feels to me like an impossibly huge super villainy plan for six or whatever years into the zombie apocalypse that, that there could be a guy that would go to all this trouble, gather these nuclear sub keys, gather the right weapons guy to bring it on, be able to get into the sub, be able to power it on, do everything he needs to, and actually launch the missile. I just feel like it's, it's not within the realm of possibility anymore, especially during the zombie apocalypse. And I didn't realize that until I saw it play out. So I'm not really on board with this whole idea anymore. And I don't know. I don't know why. They, they, I thought it was okay, and then they showed it to me. I'm like, nope, not so much. I'd like to see these locks uh, put on a YouTube channel that I watch regularly called The Lockpicking Lawyer. Yeah. Uh, where this guy takes whatever lock he can, that whatever he buys on eBay or finds somewhere or companies send to him for review. And then he just fucking picks them and forks four or five seconds. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I don't even have to pick this. I just put a shim in here and jiggle it a little bit. Or, you know, those sentry safes that they sell at freaking Home Depot and everywhere else yeah. that are like electronic safes. First of all, you could take a, uh, a saw and cut them open because it's just like a really thin sheet of metal with like a foam insulation in the middle because they're fireproof. Or you take a goddamn magnet and you put it in the thing and it pulls the solenoid uh, bar back and you open it up, right? You can defeat the thing in four seconds. Okay. In less time it takes to unlock it with a key, you can defeat it with a magnet. Okay. I would like to see this lock given to the lock picking lawyer to see how long it would take him to pick it because uh, they spent so long trying to find these, this extra key and they couldn't do anything without the keys. And you'd think that the lock to a, a nuclear submarine launch system would be significant. That's something I think I'd like the lockpicking lawyer to take a look at. So you're saying like the two keys that you have to put in, see yeah. how long it would take him to fashion something that would work instead of the key, basically. Or, yeah, pick the lock, yeah. do something, cut the... You know, he also looks at uh, electronic lock systems like fingerprint scanners or what have you. And most of those can be defeated with magnets. Anything that has an electronic opening thing, there's a power applied that pulls a metal bar uh, or a metal piston back uh, by magnetism, mm -hmm. right? So if you just take a magnet, significantly powerful magnet, and stick it to various parts of the lock, it's going to open. Yeah. Like, unless you really are serious about that shit. Well. So I'm thinking that maybe you just, uh, you know, the whole point of turning a key to an electronic system is to make a, you know, switch contact. That's the whole thing. All you have to do is take wire A and connect it to wire B and you're done. Right? There's yep. probably some kind of electronic jiggly blue in there or whatever, but ultimately it's just that if power is going into the switch... And then it comes out of the switch, you can launch the missiles. 
yeah, that's probably what it is. You're completing a couple circuits at the same time and, you know, that's, that's good enough, but. Yeah, you can hotwire a submarine apparently, according to what my current theory is. <laughs> yeah, well, if, <laughs> if anyone would know, it's you. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, that's one thing, like it just, you know, finding the keys and, and getting in there to do it, like, fine, whatever. It just, the whole thing just feels too implausible to me for now, for some reason. And the moment I realized it, I'm not sure why exactly, but there's a moment where Dwight outside says, if they fire the missile, being near this sub is probably the safest place to be. And I'm like, I know what he's trying to say. He's like, the missile's going to fly off somewhere. They're not going to blow it up right here, right? So if we're right yeah. here, we're going to be as far away as possible from where it detonates. But I don't know why. It just all of a sudden it came to me. I'm like, I don't believe this anymore. And well, it's not going to go up. And, like if their plan is to launch multiple missiles, it's not going to go straight up and then straight back down. No, I know That'd that. Pretty dumb. I get what Dwight's saying and I agree with him. But for whatever reason, that put it into context for me. It's like, okay, they're actually firing off nuclear missiles from a submarine that's been beached for six years, whatever. And all the things that needed to happen to lead up to that point. And then they actually did it. I'm like, this guy's a supervillain. And we don't see supervillains on this show. We see bad human beings. So it's the first Walking Dead supervillain, I think. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean... What constitutes constitutes a supervillain? Someone who uh, is in direct opposition to the good guy? No, uh, I think it's someone who can do mass destruction on a worldwide scale. Maybe has global domination in mind. You know, Teddy is is going to be able to dis, to detonate. Presumably, he wanted to do all the missiles. What were there twenty or something? And he wants to wipe out the planet and start over. That sounds pretty supervillainy to me. Well, he's have to, going to have to go from submarine to submarine because 20 missiles ain't going to cut it. Well, I but know we've covered not. that. I, yeah, it's not going to do the whole thing, but it's going to do more than... It's going to do... A, a, Dwight says enough to take out a continent, remember? <laughs> well, that ain't true. I mean, with radiation and... Uh, he's he's going to make people's lives shitty on a very large scale. It's going to kill a lot of people and yeah. then radiation clouds, which nobody will feel, so the cancer rates are going to go up. But wipe out society? I don't think so. Okay. Well, whatever. It just, it felt too far-fetched for me now that I saw it play out. So I don't know. I'm, I wanted the missile to go off and then it did. And I'm, and I'm not sure I wanted it anymore. Well, you can't not go off. right? I know. Like we knew that. It's true. So uh, I guess I'm stuck on the definition of a supervillain. Yes. I understand where you're coming from, uh, and I agree with you that this is a larger scale and sillier than we've seen yeah. in the past. And it's very comic booky. but he didn't build a giant spider, you know? So if he built, like taken the submarine apart and built a giant mechanical spider, like in Wild Wild West. That's the movie. I was trying to think <laughs> of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or if you believe Kevin Smith, Superman. Right. Because <laughs> uh, he wanted they wanted that in Superman, but apparently he said no. And then they put it in Wild Wild West. Yep. Uh, which, anyway, I've got a phrase in my head. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Oh, so I, I see where you're coming from. I guess I'm stuck on what constitutes a villain versus a supervillain. Oh, well. And 
and yes, it's it's uh, again, it's a distinction without a difference. So I think I agree with you. All right. So all that being said, I had many, many problems with this one. I don't think a lot of it made a lot of sense. I was disappointed with how it all played out. And here we are. We have one more next week for them to fix it all because the last few episodes I don't think have been great after, I don't know, 12 or 13 that have been okay. So you're right. There, yeah. I'm just realizing that the opening shot of the episode was the, uh, the damn town being empty. Deserted. And deserted. Nobody's there. That's where the nuke is going to go off. Right. I guess, you know, they, because, when when they asked where did they send it to, Riley was all cagey about it, and he said maybe it's your little town, right? Yeah, and there's, it's you know nicely deserted at the moment, so that'll be handy. Sure, so that's will. where it's going, right? I guess so. Yeah, I I don't yeah, know it's... how I feel about my theory from the other week about how everyone's going to be safe underground and they're going to live there for five years and the shows are going to catch up to each other. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not overly confident about that theory either at the moment. So the nuke is just going to hit the town, destroy it. There'll be a really impressive scene with the dam blowing up and all, you know, all that happening. But no one will really be worse for wear because nobody's there. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said except the word impressive. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I Fair. don't think it'll be that impressive unless they've been. Uh, Allocating a lot of budget to this one shot, which I, they hopefully will have because we don't want the, uh, the deer near the Ferris wheel fiasco again. Yeah. No. You know, if you're going to have a nuclear weapon go off, uh, you need it to be Terminator 2 level of awesomeness and not just, uh, I'm thinking, uh, Indiana Jones in the Crystal Skull movie. Yeah. The, the fridge movie, right? <laughs> The fridge movie. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, maybe if we could use those as two polar opposites for nuclear weapons going off. Okay. Well, we will see. I don't know where this is all going to go, but it's just next week, um, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so that's it. Uh, not great, in my opinion. And I hope they can pull this season out of the fire next week and end on a high note. Out of the fire. Get it? Yes, I do. Nuclear <laughs> fire? Nuclear fire. Okay, just before we end up here, Jason, I have one email I want to read uh, from Mike in Rally. And this is actually a follow-up on the last episode, but I thought it was funny and I thought it was important to follow up on this particular thing. Do you remember the move a couple of episodes ago that Teddy used on Riley to uh, subdue him in a way or... or stop him from doing something that he was going to do. He was pointing a gun at somebody, I think. Teddy used on Riley. Uh, You'll remember it when I read this email. All right, sweet. So Mike and Riley says, Teddy's quote-unquote hold on Riley reminded me of a move from my wrestling days called the five-on-two, as in five fingers on two testicles. (laughs) It was somewhat of a joke move, but it was very effective at regaining control during a match. So if you remember, Teddy grabs yep. Riley okay, by the no. balls and that uh, sort of just came out of nowhere. Well, there you go. It's the five on two. <laughs> it can't be a legal move, can it? Oh, well, probably not. That's why, you, you know, I don't think so. But 
I mean, it has a name, so it's definitely a thing. I mean, that kind of thing was outlawed in MMA after a while. I mean, the original uh, MMA fights, it would just be uh, you subdue them to the point where you could repeatedly punch them in the balls uh, until they either fall unconscious or let you win the fight. Uh-huh. Because, you know, if somebody repeatedly punched me in the balls, I probably would submit to whatever they were asking me to do. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> well, fair enough. But five on two, that's a good, uh, that, that's it. That's what it's called in my brain. The five on two. Exactly. Thank you, Mike, for clarifying that. I'll never unknow that. No, you will not. All right. Before we wrap up, Jason, I want to take a minute, as I often do, to thank someone for supporting the show. And that person is Keith S., who recently became a new patron on Patreon. And he sent this message. Keith says, I live in Japan and don't really have anyone around me who enjoys shows like The Walking Dead. So I've really appreciated having you two talking about the shows. It is sort of like I had my old friends from back home to chew over each episode after watching it together. So that's really nice, Keith. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate, we appreciate you listening and uh, contributing via Patreon. It's really, really wonderful. And I'm glad we can provide that service for you. So. Feel free to send in thoughts anytime, and uh, we will try to get them on the show as we move forward. But if you want to be like Keith and become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. And you can also make a one-time contribution via, via PayPal if you want to by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal and uh, doing it that way. So thanks so much to Keith. Thanks to everyone who contributes. And once again, thanks to everyone who listens. All right. Next week on the podcast, Jason, we're going to talk about the new Disney Plus show, Loki, that starts tomorrow. How do you feel about that? It starts tomorrow? (laughs) Hasn't it already been running? No, Loki starts tomorrow, but that's, of course, just a joke. I'm just really excited about it. My kids are excited about it. And they've been talking about it. I have to get it. caught up on uh, uh, Archibald and the Flying Guy. What's the name of that show? The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I, That's the one. I don't know. I'm all caught up on it, so I don't have that problem. I, I don't know how much you need to be caught up. I, I doubt it, though. Like, I don't feel... You didn't need to watch WandaVision to watch Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, so I doubt you really need to watch either of those to watch Loki. But I'm looking forward to Loki. Uh... And I recommend you get caught up on Falcon and WandaVision anyways. All right. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start watching uh, Incredible Hulk and just work my way through the MCU Mm -hmm. and then watch, uh, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. In the appropriate order because that happened in order too. It did. So uh, maybe I need to, I need to pick the timeline. Uh, you know, lay everything out in the order that it was uh, released so that I can, uh, you know, be fully well indoctrinated and refreshed to watch uh, Loki. So I'll do that tonight. Good. I was going to say, you got one <laughs> night to do it. Do that tonight and Wait, you'll be ready tomorrow for Tomorrow on a Wednesday? Yeah, it's weird, eh? It starts on uh, Wednesday, June 9th. That's a little odd. Yeah, it's a weird, but whatever. They're going to... Put out an episode every Wednesday, I guess. I mean... Well, it's not like I can't watch it because it's going to be one of those shows where if I don't watch the episode as it airs or as soon as it airs, I'm going to have to avoid the internet. Yes. And I don't like avoiding the internet. It's going to spoil it. It's true. So get on it. 
That's all I'm saying. Anyways, that's it's not actually too much what, pressure. It's too much pressure. It it is. But if you just stay on top of it, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's okay. All right. That, of course, is not really what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about Fear the Walking Dead, episode 16. It is called The Beginning. It's not all right. The that's end. better. It's the beginning. That's that's better because I'm all caught up on that good. universe. I'm like, yeah, I'm 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 good as far as the Walking Dead universe goes. <laughs> so that's better. All right, cool. Well, that's the beginning next week, which is actually the end. So uh, watch it, and if you have thoughts, everyone send them in. We'd love to get some feedback about that episode if we can. Before then, though, if you want to get in touch for any reason, you can do that by visiting TalkingDeadPodcast.com, clicking on Send Voicemail at the top and recording a message for us. You can also record voice messages just as an audio file onto your phone and then email them to us. And you can do that at TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead. All righty. One more episode of Fear next week, Jason, and then we'll probably take a little bit of a break, but uh, I'm looking forward to the finale. I hope they can, uh, you know, do us proud here or whatever. I think they hope they can get it right. I hope so too. You know, that's, that's let's not... stick the landing. Stick. Let's, let's stick the landing. That's what I was looking for. Stick the landing. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do you it, can Fear. fuck up the whole routine, but if you stick the landing, then, uh, uh, you know, have, you can have some respect. Perfect. Perfect. I like it. All right. Well, that's awesome. Until then, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.